You are listening to the Converge Media Network, uplifting our voices. y'all welcome to another thursday episode of clapback culture i am your host jules jesse and of course i feel so good to be here y'all mike davis is not able to be at the show tonight he has something important to do with his kids his he's um he's actually a track coach you guys and so um He's doing a track banquet. So shout out to his team um, and all of the students that did well this year in track. But you guys still got your girl. I'm so happy to be here. And guess what? I don't need nobody but y'all to get through this show. So we might as well jump back into it. Um, welcome to all my uh, listening audience who's always here live and in color. Make sure you guys uh, chop it up in the chat with me. We're definitely going to have a lot to talk about. So as y'all know, it was Memorial Day weekend last weekend, and we know a lot of people go out on Memorial Day weekend and they drink and drive, right? Well, somebody had a little too much to drink and got caught up. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's husband, Paul Pelosi, um, was arrested and charged with driving under the influence after being involved in a collision. So Paul Pelosi, you guys, he's 82 years old. He was driving a Porsche. He was um, attempting to cross the SR-29 when his Porsche was hit by a Jeep. Well, in the report, it doesn't say who's at fault for the crash, but he was arrested because he um, tested uh, over the legal limit for alcohol and had to stay the night in jail. Well, Pelosi, our House Speaker, said that she is not going to comment. This is a private matter. And in fact, she was minding her business because she was out of town on the East Coast preparing to do the commencement ceremony at Brown University. Here's what I think is funny about this, you guys. Nancy Pelosi has been married to her husband for 60 years, okay? Let me tell you one thing, baby. She is not going to have a conversation with the world about what her and her 60 um, year marriage husband got going on in their house. Okay. Shout out to that man for just living to see another day, getting into an accident and having a good drink at that. So we're really glad that nobody got hurt. Okay. Um, you know, it sounds like some cars just need to be fixed, but he did spend a night in jail um, and got out on a $5,000 bail. So you guys be careful. Please don't drink and drive. It is not safe. I'm not advocating for that. But love the fact that Nancy Pelosi is deciding to keep this a private matter because, you know, just politicians and celebrities, sometimes things do have to be private. OK, that's just how it is. Um, another hot topic, you guys, that has been coming up in, in, in conversation due to the mass shootings is really whether or not 18 year olds should have uh, or should be allowed to buy semi-automatic rifles and rifles in particular. So this came up, you guys, in um, state and court debates, whether or not, uh, I should say kids, but 18-year-old adults, 18, 19, and 20-year-old adults should have the uh, legal ability to purchase these automatic rifles. Well, this has been in conversation for a while, you guys. Well, on Last Wednesday, a U.S. appeals court ruled that California's ban on the sale of semi-automatic weapons um, 
to uh, being sold to adults under 21 is unconstitutional. So they turned over the ban. So in a two to one ruling, a judge came out and basically said, listen, this violates the Second Amendment right to bear arms. And, and, and furthermore, went into the fact that he feels that today we affirm that our Constitution still protects the right that enabled their sacrifice. Talk about young people, the right of young adults to keep and bear arms. I don't know about you, you guys, but I think this is crazy. Um, you know, they're doubling down on this. Um, the two judges that ruled in favor of this uh, ruled in the majority, um, actually, were part of Donald Trump's wave of conservative appointed judges. So, it, you know, this is not something that I think is, you know, it should surprise us. Right. And that's why it's so important for us to really follow local elections, to really understand who we're electing, um, even as president, because they have so much power in who gets to be in our judiciary system. Um, what are your guys' thoughts on this? I mean, for me, I'm thinking about you have to be 25 to rent a car, 21 to drink. You know, what? how is it that we're just allowing um, young adults as young as 18 being able to purchase semi-automatic weapons? I just read a report that a 16-year-old was trying to galvanize other kids at his school to figure out how they could shoot up the school and bomb it. I mean, do we think this is too young? You know, I'm checking this out in the comments. Leon is saying that's ridiculous. Ridiculous. The Second Amendment doesn't apply to 17-year-olds or 16-year-olds or 15-year-olds. Why 18? Maybe because at 18, you're a legal adult. I mean, I guess it's a, a, a simple argument, you guys, but 21 just to me doesn't seem like we're pushing the envelope too much. In fact, I think we should say 25 unless you're in the in, unless you're in the military or in law enforcement. So we really have to begin to think about common sense gun laws. We, we I don't know why we want to uh, continue to use this veil of the Constitution and the right to bear arms to really make considerations about what young people should have the right to do and not do so. I'm not sure you guys, this is, is coming up, but I think it's a fight worth fighting and a conversation to continue to be had. Um, we're also continuing to see that um, lawyers are pushing um, to have uh, attorney generals to appeal this in court. So this is what's going on in California. There's also, uh, this came up in the state of Washington, but I think we're gonna see this narrative continue to happen across the country um, and so we'll, we'll stay up on it and we'll just continue to talk about it. Uh, you guys, speaking of guns, um, this was an interesting uh, topic that came up. In the world of everything is viral, there was a report that a pregnant woman was shot by police. OK, um, there was a viral video that kind of came out. And the media reports put the Kansas City Police Department under fire after allegedly shooting an un unarmed pregnant black woman five times, allegedly in the back. Now, of course, everything is not what it seems sometimes. And and of course, we love to indict um, bad police on this show. So let's not get it twisted. I'm not I'm not siding with anybody in this. But I am siding with real news and I am siding with the fact that facts matter. And so if we can go ahead and put that overlay back up, Cuddy, you guys, 
Officials reported that the shooting occurred at 8 p.m. at a family dollar, and they pulled this couple over. We only see the female here, but a man was also with her and, and fled from the scene. The 26-year-old woman was shot three times, so not five, by the two police officers that apprehended her at the scene, um, and they kept stating that she had a gun. Well, an eyewitness, you guys, said that they didn't, you know, who who only had the video of the aftermath at that, said that she didn't feel there was a threat, and she said that she didn't notice a gun. Well, media outlets ran with that story, and it's all over the place, but guess what? <laughs> That didn't happen. She absolutely had a weapon in her hand. Now, does that give an officer the right to shoot her three times? Maybe, maybe not. But the allegation that, you know, the headlines of like Kansas City police shoots un unarmed black pregnant woman is not actually the full story. And I think as media, we have to be more careful at what we are giving out to the public because these headlines are not true. And so upon further investigation, I only found one news outlet that actually had the body camera footage that was released. And so no one is even making the amendment, right? Like no one is going back and saying, well, actually she was armed, right? The, and it wasn't in her car. And even the state troopers, you know, they tweeted this out and it just seems like no one wants to share the full story. Well, Leona Hale, we don't know if, if it's confirmed or not confirmed whether or not she was pregnant. She did, according to eyewitnesses, speak the fact that she was pregnant. Um, we do see her brandishing um, a weapon uh, in that video, but she was charged with unlawful possession of a firearm, unlawful use of a weapon, and a misdemeanor of resisting a lawful detention. So... She's got a lot to worry about on top of the fact that she suffered from three gunshot wounds. And, you know, and if I'm going to stick the fire to everyone in this case, it's also going to be the police. I hate when a when a suspect slash victim is shot on a scene and then you go and handcuff them. Why do you have to handcuff them after they're shot? I mean, it just doesn't make any sense to me. So you guys. I don't know about this story, but again, we have a responsibility as media. If some of you guys heard about this, I, you know, I just wanted to share that upon further review of the investigation, it did reveal that she did in fact have a weapon. Um, the body camera footage is out there. And so be very careful when you're reading these headlines to really, you know, figure out who your credible sources are. Okay. And make sure that you're not just going with what is being um, played out in social media or on the cable news channel because sometimes it's not the full picture. All right, you guys, moving on. This is such a heartbreaking story, but also I just love, love, love how the community has galvanized around this family. Um, more than $2.7 million, you guys, has been raised for the children of the teacher, Irma Garcia. She's one of the teachers that was killed at Robb Elementary School, and her husband subsequently died two days later. And what they're saying in a heartbreaking uh, tale of heartbreak, they had been married for more than 25 years. Um, and they, the family just says that, you know, he had a medical emergency, he had a heart attack, but they really feel that he died from a broken heart. People from all around the world are giving and they're giving big um, dollar amounts. So one fundraiser raised over half, a little bit more than half a million dollars, and then they pulled it into another 
um, GoFundMe so that it's all collaboratory. But this is just, I mean, it, it's heartbreaking. They left behind four children. And so all of the money that's going into this GoFundMe is going to go to support their kids because they have kids that are even in, as young as in high school. So this is a, a big deal to have lost both of your parents, one from a super tragic situation. And then two days later, you know, you're burying your mother and father together. So this happens. Um, I know we talked about this a little bit at the end last week. I think um, John Jupiter mentioned it, but there it is, you guys. I mean, if you want to donate to this, um, this is a legitimate GoFundMe. I did do some investigation on that. So 2.8 million going to these four kids, definitely not enough to support them or ever cover the loss of their family and all the trauma that they're going to sustain. But this is so nice to see that the world in, is really galvanizing around them. And there's even like the, the co-founder of uh, GroupMe, uh, donated 10 grand. So there's a lot of like heavy hitters that are looking into this and making contributions. So I thought that was kind of a feel good moment for that. Speaking of Rob Elementary School, um, I saw a tweet, you guys, that came out from Sean King. I don't know if you guys follow him on Instagram or Twitter, but Sean King is um, a really strong advocate. He's always, um, you know, talking about social justice and everything like that. But he he, he posted this. He said, I'm told this morning that at least two parents of children killed in Uvalde are considering having an open casket funeral to show the world what happened to their babies. He is tying this to, if you guys remember, Mamie Teal, who put this out 70 years ago about her son um, being brutally murdered um, by white men. I think this is... Um, tragic but i think this is such so strong and so powerful and i think they absolutely should um and i think that if i were the mother of a child in this situation i would consider that because when we're talking about really having some type of reform and really figuring out what we need to do as a country to make our streets our 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 schools our churches our hospitals even um safer we have to really have a conversation about what we are doing with firearms and weapons. And I think, you know, this is a dramatic uh, display that could really change the way that lawmakers and people are really looking at this situation. Um, what are your, what are your guys' thoughts? Harry Jefferson said, I would have an open casket for sure. The world needs to know. Sometimes it's, it's, you know, we've, we've seen some of the caskets, you guys, that are being painted with, um, you know, cartoon characters and like, you know, really beautiful like animations, but to have an open casket funeral and make the decision to air that nationwide so that people all around the world could see what happened to your baby and really start making some change. That's going to change a lot of people who are sitting behind the desk um, and, and really are out of touch with this. So um, I don't know, you guys, what are your thoughts there? I mean, that that's such a huge, huge, huge move. Uh, it's, a, it's, it's heartbreaking. If it would help, it's worth it. But I don't know if it would really help, unfortunately. Well, I would argue that with Emmett Till, it did work. You know, I mean, we're still talking about that 70 years later. Unfortunately, we're still having to have these um, conversations. But I think in a world um, where things do go viral 
and 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 people have kind of dropped the veil on on things that are considered sensitive i think this would be a really powerful message to send out to people who feel that this doesn't touch them and that this doesn't bother them so what do we do i mean what else can we do right so i'm interested to see about this um and more uh, Ron Martin, Afghanistan, Ukraine, CCP, arrest my case, 1A, 2A. Emmett Till would not say believe all women. I don't, I don't, I guess I don't understand what you're trying to bring up. So maybe if you can elaborate a little bit more on your thought, that would be helpful. All right. Well, look, you guys, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll do it for the culture. And we have some more information. Jada Pinkett Smith has broken her silence about the whole Oscar slap situation. Let's talk about it when we come back. You're watching Clapback Culture. When the pandemic hit, it did affect me. As a barber, I had my own personal reasons why I didn't get vaccinated. At the time, I didn't check the actual source. I thought the vaccine was developed too fast, but I was talking to the doctor and he was telling me more about the vaccine and what it could do to protect us and our family. I wanted to get back to that once was, right? I do feel safe knowing that I am vaccinated. I just hope what I'm saying is reaching into people's heads to know that this is the best decision for all of us. All right, y'all. I was partying during break. Um, I love our merch commercial uh, little soundtrack. You guys make sure you guys shop and purchase some merch from Converge Media. You guys, I'll have Cuddy drop the link where you guys can purchase um, down in the comments so that you guys can support Black media. All right. So this is, I, I, you know, listen, you guys, I hate to bring you bad news, but I'm bringing you guys news so that we can have thoughtful conversations about what the heck is going on. Well, Master P and hip hop executive, our rapper, excuse me, and hip hop executive Master P lost his daughter um, a couple days ago. And the music mogul basically, you know, came out on his social media to announce her death. This is so tragic. Um, they didn't release the actual cause of death. They just kind of asked for privacy, but they mentioned um, that they were really dealing with this grief and that, you know, that his daughter suffered from some type of drug addiction. Uh, his, his other son, Romeo, who you guys may know, is on a show called Growing Up Hip Hop. And on one of those episodes, he, Romeo and Master P are having a conversation with her and, and, and really encouraging her to go to rehab. We have a clip, let's take a look and then we'll come back and talk about it. I just thought that that trip stopped me from wanting to ever be in Hollywood scene with those celebrity friends. And I feel like I don't need to go to rehab. I feel like I could actually do good without rehab. I mean, you say that, Tata, but on the serious side, I think we should get some professional help just to make sure you stay on track. So let's not say you don't want to go to rehab. I think you should at least try it because I don't want you to go back to this. I have friends that have been through this, and it, it takes two years of being completely sober to really be like you can walk away from this Yeah, because even if somebody brings something around you, I don't want you to go back to like, oh, I'm just going to have a little drink. I just want to take a little smoke or something. You got to be around. Like to me, I could be around people that's drinking and smoking and I don't want it. 
I really hope that Tata is serious about making a change. In my house, I'm a drill sergeant because you need somebody to tame you and to tell you, you know, we're going to fix this. By us doing this with my daughter, hopefully we'll send that same message to her mom, like, you know, if you need to get help. All right, y'all. Well, this is a topic that has come up a lot in a lot of households when we're talking about drug addiction. I see a lot of people in the comments, Disciple Boy and Healing Broken Wings, talking about the issue of mental health and us needing to tackle that. Absolutely, 100%. Mental health is real. Um, and it seems that no matter how much help you give someone, they still go down that rabbit hole of pain. Drug addiction is so strong. I see it prevalent in my own community. I know a lot of people in Seattle um, are dealing with that as well. The opioid crisis is absolutely ridiculous. Um, you know, people just dying of fentanyl. I don't know what, again, I don't know what uh, Titiana Miller passed away from. My, uh, my, my theory is that it was probably um, some type of opioid addiction um, and, and she subsequently passed from that. Uh, Master P mentioned that um, even her mom may go and seek rehab because Sonia Miller does also have sub substance abuse issues as well. But this is something we need to talk about, Black people, because there's always somebody in our life, in our communities, and it's almost one of those subjects that we don't talk about, right? In terms of going to rehab, um, we have a lot of conversations like you need to get clean, you need to get straight. And we kind of treat, you know, the crackhead uncle and cousin um, you know, but we don't really encourage them to go to rehab. And so I love the fact that Master P was able to highlight this on a platform um, and share this with a viewing audience with millions of people to kind of generate this conversation. And it's sad. Um, you know, Harry Jefferson said, this is tragic. Drug addiction has plagued our community for too long. It absolutely has. I mean, and this girl, she's in her 20s. I think she's 20, 20. She was 29. So she didn't even make it to 30. Um, it doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter how much support you have. You know, drug addiction is a real thing and it's taking people out. And so our thoughts and prayers are with Master P and his family. Um, and we can't do anything more but just support those in our community who are suffering, you know, in silence or suffering out loud. And, you know, he was really pushing her to get the help that she needed. So if you are a person that's out there suffering from some type of addiction, um, even if you think it's small, right? Like some things, it just starts as drinking, you know, getting your drinking under control. You know, we're, we're looking at people getting caught up with DUIs. Maybe it's time to put the bottle down. You know what I'm saying? Anything that's in excess is too much. And so we really have to get control and have a little bit more discipline in our lives before things spiral out of control. So be careful, be diligent, and let's continue to try to live a healthy lifestyle and implement more things that are healthy, you guys. Um, so our thoughts, again, our thoughts and prayers are with this family. All right, you guys, we finally have heard it all, honey. Jada Pinkett Smith, baby, she decided to break her silence and have a conversation. Well, a slight nod to what happened um, at the Oscars. We're going to play it. And then believe me, baby, I am going to clap back. Here we go. Let's let's run it, Cuddy. Men have an opportunity to heal, talk this out and reconcile. Jada Pinkett Smith addresses that infamous Oscar slap between her husband, Will Smith and Chris Rock and gets candid about living with scarring alopecia on the latest Red Table Talk. 
The more that we can bring these difficult subjects to light and talk about it, the more we can purify these subjects. Let's start by rewinding to Oscars night. Chris makes a joke about Jada's shaved head and the actress looks visibly upset. Of course, Jada has publicly discussed her struggles with alopecia, a hair loss disease. So her husband, Will, took the matters into his own hands, literally. <laughs> oh, wow. At the time, a source told All right, y'all. Unfortunately, I think I gave Cuddy the wrong clip, but she makes mention, you guys, that she really wants these two Black men to be able to really come back together because we need them now more than ever. And me and Will are going to do what we've done for the last 28 years. And we're going to figure out this thing called life. Baby girl, this is why when we talk, we need, we always hashtag protect black women, hashtag protect black men. And somebody needs to save Will Smith from Jada Pinkett Smith. I hate this because her statement took no accountability for anything that happened, and it infuriated me. Will Smith threw his whole career on the line in, in protection of her, okay? And for her to come out and be like, well, I just hope they, they can figure it all out. No, 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 no. You should take some accountability and stand by your man and be like, you know what? I stand with my husband 100% for what he did, good, bad, or indifferent, period. Do I hope that they can figure out what's going on? Absolutely. But I take full accountability in the fact that me and him got some stuff going on. And he knows how much this alopecia thing is really bothering me. And it set him over the top. And so for that, you know, I'm going to do more to continue to protect my man and embrace him during this hard time. Whatever the case may be, but I just feel like she didn't take enough accountability in that situation, regardless of the fact that Will Smith was a person who physically assaulted Chris Rock, um, who, who shouldn't be who shouldn't be um, exempt from that. But I feel like she indicted her her own husband and didn't stand by him. So, I mean, let me tell you, all if Rodney got up on the stage and slapped the shit out of somebody uh, because he knew that I felt disrespected. I'm going to double down and stand by him. Good, bad or indifferent. So I just I hate it made me feel like Jada Pinkett is just Jada Pinking one more again. These are really, really, really powerful black people, rich, talented, influential, have huge platforms. And I just think, you know, their their whole marriage has just been so dysfunctional extremely, um, you know, aired out. And I just hate that she didn't stand by him. You guys, what are your thoughts here? Um, we got healing broken wings. She says Jada is a master manipulator and a narcissist. She is a broken soul. She is belittling and berating him for so long. He has lost his reality of self and self-worth. I agree. I agree. And if you guys go and watch the real clip, the full clip, and I apologize for not having it. Um, but once you hear it, you're going to be appalled. Can we put Harry Jefferson's back up real quick? And then we'll go. Uh, Jada complaining about hair loss, but got paid $2 million for her role in Matrix. Girl, bye. Jada, I get that this alopecia thing is like a big deal for you, sis. But that's we're not talking about that. OK, we're not talking about that. We're talking about you taking accountability and standing by your man. Um, Tracy says, if Will is looking for a new wife, I volunteer for tribute. <laughs> All right, sis, we'll make sure you get that, Doc. Uh, you know what? 
I, I just, I, I'm, I'm so appalled by this. I hate her statement. I feel like she shouldn't have said nothing. Um, and I honestly feel bad for Will Smith because I, th I feel like her statement really left him hanging. And for somebody that you're committed to in a partnership with for the last 28 years, who you share your whole life with, come on, girl. He didn't. He was up to be the to be the legend of the night, the Sydney Portier of our time. Will Smith is not a regular person for him to totally act and go outside of his body like that was totally different. And she knows him best. Girl, stop what you're doing. Get up there and protect that black man and stand right by him. Am I wrong, you guys? Do you, I mean, do you guys agree with me? Or do you feel that, you know, because Will Smith jumped out there on his own, that he should have to, you know, just face the consequences for his actions. Because for me, I feel like she's 50% a part of the problem. Like for real. Oh, she, oh, did, did you read his bio? That was him. Girl, I heard about the bio. I'm actually between that and, um, and, um, oh, there's another book I want to read. We were just talking about it, Safiya, but mm, she's whack. He's wrong. Yeah. I mean, it is him, but it's her too. She should have stopped. She should have grabbed his hand. I mean, even if she didn't know, right? I just feel like the statement threw him, uh, further threw him under the bus in a moment where it would have been great to see her say, you know what? I don't care. But again, it's her saving face. She's separating herself from the situation because she wants to save her own career. So that's what I think it is. And I don't, I don't like it. And, and I just, I hate that for him. Um, and I think me personally, I would have loved to just see her stand by him. It don't matter when you take those vows and you say that you're going to stand by me and you guys have been doing it for 28 years, stand by your man. Even when he, even when he's wrong, say, you know what, he's wrong, but I'm going to stand by him. He shouldn't have got up there and did that, but you know what? I'm with him. We going not, we're going to figure this thing of life out. Girl, shut up. Anyway, you guys, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to close up our show. And I want to talk to you guys about um, the, the, this, the shooting again, right? Because MSNBC laid out a timeline of events. And there's a lot of criticism about what happened um, with the police and whether or not they acted um, in a timely fashion. So I want to have that conversation with you guys to see if they should be held more accountable. And we're also going to talk about a little bit about what's going on in Canada on gun reform. So stay tuned. You're watching Clapback Culture. All right, y'all. Welcome back to Clapback Culture. I'm your I'm your host, Jules Jesse. I'm glad to be here tonight and glad to have this conversation with you guys. So I want to know your thoughts. Continue to weigh in in the comments, you guys. Thank you so much for being here and chopping it up with me. So investigators have been um, uncovering lessons for law enforcement to avoid mistakes that happen at the Rob Elementary School shooting. And there's a lot of criticism and, and really some conversation being had about whether or not the police response um, was good enough. Um, so MSNBC did their homework and they put together a beautiful timeline. And I'm going to walk you through the timeline that they created. And then I want us to talk about whether or not the decision to wait an hour to go into the classroom was the right response. So let's, let's, let's put up the first overlay, Cuddy. 
So at 11.27, a teacher props the door open. Um, A minute later, the the shooter crashes their truck into a ditch behind the school and rushes to grab. um, The shooter crashes the truck. The teacher goes inside to grab her phone and leaves the door open. At 11.30 is the first 911 call placed by that teacher from inside the school or by, by a teacher from inside the school. 11.31, the shooting begins outside of the school. 11.31, 11.32, the school resource officer responds and drives past the shooter. 11.33, shooter enters schools, fires 100 rounds into room 111 and 112. So we're talking about from the time the shooter got up in there, two minutes, okay? And, um, and simultaneously, the school resource officer seeing that happen. Let's go ahead and put up the second one. 1135, seven uh, Uvalde police officers entered the school through the same entrance used by the shooter. So that's only two minutes after that. So we have seven officers and the resource officers, you guys, that have now entered the school. 1137, another 16 rounds go off. 1143, more officers arrive on the scene. So we're talking about, I mean, police are there. By 1203, this is 30 minutes, you know, roughly 30 minutes after the first seven police enter the school, an additional 19 officers amass in the hallways outside of the classroom. Now, between 12.03 and 12.16 are the 911 calls. And these are students making the 911 calls. A student calls 911 and whispers that she's in room 112. Um, she, a student calls 911 again and tells the operator that there's multiple pe- people being dead. Uh, there's a third call. And then there's a fourth call that says eight to nine students are alive. Now let's talk about why this timeline is important. And it's important because we know that there's seven police officers right there. And the 911 calls from the student are letting you letting um, law enforcement know that there are kids alive in the building um, and in the classroom that has been taken over by the shooter. Now, it's easy for us to scrutinize this timeline as, you know, as individuals looking at the situation in hindsight. But is that too long? I mean, and should law enforcement have ran up into the classroom? Let's take a look at the last slide. There's another call at 1219 to 911 from room 111. So we had a call from room 111 and room 112. So both of the classrooms, students are calling 911. 1221, the shooter fires again. Law enforcement moves away from the classroom down the hallway. The shots can be heard on the 911 call. The student called 911 hung up after told to do so by another student. 1236, the student makes a 21 second 911 call, calls back and is told to stay on the line, but be quiet. The student tells the 911 operator, please send the police now. At 1247, she's begging, or excuse me, the student is begging, please send the police now. 1250, law enforcement breaches the room with a key. They had to get the janitor to come with a key. Why are we waiting for a key? 
1250 to 1251 law enforcement kills shooter. Um, let's can we go back to slide number two? Slide number two at 1203, 19 officers amassed in the hallway outside of the classroom. Why did it take us 50 minutes to make a decision to enter the classroom? And why did we wait for a key? So initially, before I saw this timeline put up, I didn't want to scrutinize what happened to first responders making the decision to go there. But y'all, what's going on? I mean, let's have a conversation about this, y'all. Um, this is this is this is what's happening. And let me tell you, parents was outside loaded up, okay, strapped, ready to go. This is a small town. Um, there's allegations that were made that law enforcement was going in and just looking for their own kids. Uh, and that has actually been proven to be true. I saw an interview with one uh, off-duty police officer who was able to enter the building. He mentioned that he did not have his gear. His uh, his wife was a teacher is a teacher there, and his daughter is a student. And um, he went in looking for his wife and his daughter, and he was unapologetic about it. And I don't blame him for that. And he said that the reason that he didn't um, go into uh, room 111 or 112 is because he didn't have his tactical gear, but did mention that there were officers who had the proper gear to go in. Why did law enforcement wait almost an hour to go in, you guys? I mean, we really haven't had a clear picture on why that happened. What are, like what's happening? Like what are we doing? What are your guys' thoughts here? This seems, I don't know. I mean, initially, like I said, I didn't want to be too skeptical because you know I feel like I'm outsider looking in, and I don't want to blame anybody um, for what happened. I mean, those kids, nobody wanted that to happen. But who made that damn call not to go in, you guys? I mean. I don't know. I mean, when you sign up to be law enforcement and you're in a situation like that, maybe there just wasn't training. Leon says you don't blame him for not getting more kids than just his own. I do. Shame. I mean, listen, he, he it would have been if he had a went in. I mean, he did help other kids get out, but he didn't go into the actual room where the shooter was. Um, so he did mention that he was getting getting kids out of the classrooms. Um, you know, law enforcement outside were breaking windows and, you know, shoving kids out and getting them to safety. But he, he did go in and look for his own kid. So this is the thing. I want to have this conversation about why we have 19 police officers in the hallway as the shooter is still shooting. And you know that there's kids like it's time to go in there and Rambo that mug. I mean, we it's time to shoot it up. So, I mean, Y'all, you didn't even breach the door. We were waiting for the janitor to get the key. The door is not even open. So you don't even know what's going on in there. I mean, are we trying to negotiate with a mass shooter? I wouldn't. So again, I mean, like I mentioned before, you guys, I what I did not want to be critical of first responders and in law enforcement that were there. But this timeline is I'm raising my eyebrows like for real. For real. Uh, Harry Jefferson says, I don't, Leon. All kids are important, but when you run to a school, you run there to get your wife and kids and get them safe. A person's mind, don't think like that until your personal family is safe. 
I mean, I, that's how I feel. I mean, this guy, he was, he said that he was in the middle of getting a haircut. Him and his barber got the call. His, he said he, the first thing he thought of is where's a gun. And he hopped in his truck and they rolled down there. So I think he was helping, you know, get other kids out. But at the end of the day, when you go in there, you're looking for your loved one. And I think he was fair and being honest about that. But we we do need to have an honest conversation about the training of law enforcement and what to do in a mass shooting. Um, can we see, can I see uh, Bria's comment? All this conversation about needing good guys with guns. Boom, sorry. Good guys with guns to stop bad guys with guns and they do nothing. Hey, listen, the narrative that is being pushed in the state of Texas by the governor, okay, and even our in Senator Cruz is that they need uh, resource officers with guns to stop more shooters. And in fact, that shit didn't happen, you guys. I mean, this is this is the this is the thing. The narrative is that more guns is going to stop people. And it didn't. You have police officers in the hallway. You have police officers, community members, parents, all strapped. Everybody's ready to go up in there. Okay. And everyone knows each other in the community. That's the thing. This is a small town. And so this is a, a, a tragic situation, but the perfect storm for us to really have conversations and mass shootings because I don't believe that the police stood out there because they did not care. I think they were ill-equipped in terms of how to navigate the situation. Um, and I think there was not enough training. And unfortunately, in the times that we're living in and the mental health of these people that's going on, this is something that needs to be addressed is law enforcement training. And so the Justice Department is uh, reviewing uh, law, the law enforcement's response in Texas, and they're going to focus on school police chief um, in order his, in his order to delay sending officers into the classrooms where the 19 uh, kids were killed and the two teachers, as well as the officers knowing about the 911 calls from students on the inside. So that is what's going to be investigated. Um, and Listen, we have to we have to make we there has to be an explanation on why we waited an hour. Can you imagine how long that hour felt? In an emergency situation, five minutes feels like a long time. Fifteen minutes feels like a long time. So an hour felt like a lifetime. And I feel like a lot more students could have been saved um, had law enforcement entered the classrooms, broke down the door, got up in there. Where is the janitor? I mean, why are we waiting for somebody to get up in there? I mean, I don't know. So that's that. There is some swift action uh, taken by the Canadian prime minister who has banned uh, the purchase, the sale and the transfer of firearms in the country of Canada. Let's take a look at this press conference and we'll come back and talk about it. And so today we're moving forward. We're introducing legislation to implement a national freeze on handgun ownership. What this means is that it will no longer be possible to buy, sell, transfer or import handguns anywhere in Canada. 
As a further part of this new legislation, we're also fighting gun smuggling and trafficking by increasing maximum criminal penalties and providing more tools for law enforcement to investigate firearm crimes. And we'll require the permanent alteration of long gun magazines so they can never hold more than five rounds. These are actions that doctors, experts, and chiefs of police have been calling for for years. And we're acting on their advice. So, you guys, we had this conversation about what does gun reform need to look like? What does public safety need to look like? Is this is this the case? Thank you for mentioning that. I forgot to mention that, that the police chief who was the um, the, the directing officer at the mass shooting had already been elected to sit on city council, you guys. And so he's going to be sworn in. OK, I mean, he, he'd already been voted in. It's just the swearing in ceremony hadn't happened yet. So that's happening. So let's let's roll back to Canada. You guys, it's going to be illegal to buy, sell or tran transfer or import hand goods anywhere in Canada, said the prime minister. Um, NPR reported that Canada already has plans to ban 1500 types of military style firearms and offer a mandatory buyback program that will begin at the end of the year. It already expanded its background checks. Is this is this what we need to do? I mean, Canada's taking taking a lead and saying, guess what? Not here. Um, there, there are numbers of mass shootings and, and homicides and everything has gone down um, because of this. What I mean, is this something that you guys think we need to implement here in our country? Leon says, good for Canada. Personally, I wish the U.S. didn't have have all of the guns. I agree. I mean, it, it really takes getting some of the guns off the street. Um, Harry Jefferson says, OK, Canada, this is how you shut it. Shut it the heck down. Make a statement. There aren't enough guns on the street. No need for gun stores anymore. We have a constitutional right to bear arms. But when we see people dying in these kind of circumstances, I mean, look at the Tulsa shooting. I mean, this guy was mad at his doctor um, because he blamed him for back pain and went in and killed the doctor and anybody that got in his way and left, you know, left his, his suicide manifesto as to why he was doing it. And he went and again, we're talking about these these semi-automatic assault rifles. So our, what do we do now? Because we can't continue to do the same thing over and over again. That's ridiculous. And so we really need to make a powerful move, you guys. And is this the powerful move that we need to do? Now, I, I do wish Mike was here because, you know, he is a gun owner um, and he's, you know, he's open about purchasing firearms and having the right to bear arms. So I really wanted to have this conversation with him about it. But y'all, I mean, for me, I'm not a registered gun owner. I, I want to be a registered gun owner to protect myself. But again, if it means that I can't be a gun owner to protect um, the, the rest of our country from mass shootings and, and just like people being irresponsible, negligent and psychopathic, then I'm cool with that. Like, in Canada, you know, the rumor is, is that people don't even lock their doors at night. It's so safe. So our country is really being plagued right now with violence all across the country. It's not just in Texas. It's not just in Oklahoma. It's not just here in Washington, D.C. or Washington State. Like 
there is so much going on and guns are the problem. Um, and, and we have to figure out what is the root cause and stop treating the symptom. So let's see what the root cause is. But look, y'all, that's our show tonight. Um, I'm so glad to have sat here and had this conversation with you guys once again. Unfortunately, I think Harry Jefferson mentioned in the comments last week that there was going to be another mass shooting by the time we came and had this. And unfortunately, there was last night, you know, and um our babies are talking about it. They see it on the news. You know, Rodney, his son called and was like, hey, dad, did you hear about the mass shooting in uh, in Oklahoma, Oklahoma? And we hadn't even heard about it yet. And so these babies know what's going on, you guys. Um, it's it's sad and it's unfortunate that we have to have conversations with kids about what are you going to do in an active shooting situation? That was the conversation we had at dinner last night with an 11 year old. What are you going to do in an active shooting situation? And then giving giving intervention strategies to say, this is what you got to do to keep yourself safe. What are you going to do? So talk to your kids about it. You know, come up with a plan at work, you guys. And really, you know, there are consultants that will come out to your workplace and have these trainings. It's time. If the, if the laws are not going to change, we need to figure out how we can pr protect ourselves for real. Um, and it's not going to be standing in the hallway. But look, y'all, that's our show. Peace and love. Um, when I'm not here, you guys can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Treasure of J-U-L-E-S. Please also follow the Clapback Culture Instagram, you guys, to get more content. WW Converge on all social media platforms. And again, I will see you guys next Thursday, same time, same place. Until then, peace. produces culturally relevant content for black and urban audiences. Our coverage is raw, transparent, and objective, praised by community leaders, government officials, and residents. Support Converge Media today via Venmo, Cash App, or PayPal at Converge Media.